Praise God. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah. I'll be reading from the 31st chapter, verses 31 through 34. And I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and remember their sins no more. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Who doesn't like a good deal? Especially if your last deal wasn't so great. You're looking forward to the next deal if it's looking better. This is how advertising works, right? They tell you new and improved or new deal or discounted or on sale. And immediately you jump to see what it is. I have to admit that my Achilles heel is the Best Buy ads deal of the day. They get me to look at stuff to buy that I would normally not get, but it's on sale. The problem is the deal of the day comes every single day. And I really don't need that much stuff. But they get me every time deal of the day, and I have to look and see if anything catches my fancy. Why? Well, because it said it was a deal. And Best Buy doesn't lie, right? It's always a good deal. Let's face it. If we're looking for a good deal, for a good sale, for the next good opportunity to acquire something at a fraction of the cost, ads get to us. They get to us because we, we see that there's an opportunity to save and maybe get something we wanted, to achieve that which we, want, we set out for and, and save a few, few dollars here or there. But you know, every sale or every deal is not a good deal. Have you ever walked into one of these more expensive stores and they have an incredible 30% off? But when you look at the item price, it's like $200. And you begin to realize that 30% of a lot is still a lot. And you realize it's not that good a deal, right? What we learn from this is that we really need to evaluate deals to really see if they're a good deal. We've got to see if they're actually worth it. We've got to see if they're really something that we should take advantage of. That not just follow the hype, not just follow the advertising, but actually look at the details. You know the little fine print does not apply to any of the items you really want to buy? That kind of stuff. You need to pay attention to the details. Our scripture today is all about deals, or in biblical terms, covenants. 
It's talking about the covenants that God has made with God's people, with us, and with the people of Israel back in Old Testament times and through the New Testament. We know from Sunday school and from reading our our Old Testament stories that God made several deals with the people. I'll give you an example that you'll immediately know. A rainbow means God will not destroy the the world through flood, right? We know that deal, right? God promised the people that he would never destroy the world through floods again. We know these deals, and we've read about them. And of course, we have read about the, the deal with Abraham. When God invited him to leave his father's home and head to a foreign land, which he didn't know where it was or how it was going to be. But God said, go, leave your father's house. I'll show you where to go. And I'm going to make your descendants numerous, and you're going to enjoy this promised land that will be flowing with milk and honey. You know, this great place that I have set forth for you. God promised Abraham a lot, didn't he? And if you read that story about Abraham, you find that God asked him to circumcise all the males in, in, the, in the house and that that would be a sign of the covenant and that they were just supposed to follow God's instructions as he led them to this promised land that he was going to take them to. God offered him so much and asked for so little. We also know that God was the one who initiated the covenants, right? It was always God reaching out to the people to start these deals. You know, it would be funny if I showed up at Best Buy and said, I will give you $5 for that. I don't think they would do it, right? Why? Because they're the ones that have the opportunity to initiate these deals, right? And then I have to decide whether I take advantage of them or not, if I buy them or not. And in the same way, in the scripture, we find that it is God who initiates the deals and the covenants. It is he who makes the offers and the promises to the people. We remember the covenant made through Moses, right? God uses Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. And then when they're in the wilderness, he gives them the Ten Commandments, the law. And he says, follow these things that I've written on tablets. Follow these things, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. You know, the Mosaic law of this covenant asked the people to remember that they had an obligation to obey God and to follow God. This made the Mosaic law a little different from others in Scripture because It was a bilateral deal where they had to follow the rules, and if they didn't follow the rules, there would be consequences. And we know that they weren't able to follow those rules very well, were they? They kept turning to other gods, and they paid the consequences for that throughout their history. The covenant was designed around that law, and it was meant to show people that you needed to repent of the things that you were doing wrong. But it was not really designed to save anybody. When I think about it, I think of a free diagnostic for your car. You take in your car to get a free diagnostic. The mechanic will come back with a mile-long list of all the things they found that your car needs, right? Did they fix anything? No. They just showed you everything that was wrong with the car. You still need 
to fix it, right? You still need to get it resolved. In a way, the Mosaic law revealed to the people of Israel just how sinful they were, how hard it was for them to be faithful to God. It showed them that they needed grace and mercy and forgiveness because they could not attain it on their own. You know, when my mechanic comes back with that list, I feel wholly inadequate to take care of my car. I begin to realize how little I can do for myself. You know, nowadays, cars are not even mechanical only. They're like electrical, and you got to know computers. And I don't know, unless you're a mechanic, I don't know how you fix it. And when we see ourselves reflected in the law and realize how much we need to repent about, how much we need help with, we begin to realize that we can't do it by ourselves. And in a way, you could say that we need the holy mechanic called Jesus, the only one who can forgive our sins and repair our lives. This portion of Jeremiah that we have read from is part of a three-chapter section in Jeremiah that is commonly called the Book of Comfort. It goes from chapter 30 to chapter 33. The reason it is called that is because if you read the book of Jeremiah, the first 29 chapters will depress you. The first 29 chapters are all about how the people have failed to keep the covenant. They're all about how wrong they have been in their actions towards God. They're all in how there will be consequences to all of this sin. If you read those 29 chapters and never get to the 30th chapter, you'd be ready to just throw them out and say, forget it. You guys aren't redeemable. There's no way that you can have hope. But when you get to chapter 30, you begin to hear the promise of a new deal. You begin to hear about the hope that God is going to give his people that is going to come in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. You begin to see the prophecies that God will redeem them once again. That the new covenant will not depend on list of things to do. But that it will be based on God's grace and love and mercy. The days are coming when the Lord will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah it was needed for both houses because Israel was a divided kingdom at the time. They had suffered greatly because of their unfaithfulness. And Jeremiah is quickly quick to point out that this deal will not be like the other, which we couldn't keep. The other which we couldn't do. God's new covenant includes God as the initiator once again. But now God is promising direct intervention. You know, when your car gets so bad at the diagnostic checkup that they pull the old mechanic that's all full of grease everywhere to come out, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble. That, that's not a good sign. That means you're in desperate need. And in a way, what, what God was saying here is, we've tried it these other ways, and you guys can't be faithful I am sending in direct intervention. And the intervention is going to come in the form of the law being written in your heart where you can't lose it. 
where you can't forget it, where nobody can take it from you, where it can't be neglected. I am going to write it in your heart. You know, we're always looking for places to hide things and then forget where we hid them and can't find them. In this way, God was saying, by putting this record to your hearts, then you will be able to remember my laws and my commandments. But more important than that, you will know how much I love you and how much I care for you. You know, the priority of the first covenant was the law, which was etched on stone tablets. People had to go and read it to follow it, and they had to try to do the things that were on there. But God now was giving them a new way to look at those rules and laws. You know, it is comforting as God's people to know that God has promised this to us. Because when God promises something, it doesn't depend on me being worthy enough or good enough. It depends on his grace and his mercy. God says, I will teach them from the least to the greatest to know me. I will teach them. And you know, when I read this and I realize that it's in the Old Testament, I realize that here God is indicating that the Holy Spirit will be involved. You know, people sometimes don't see the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament, but it's there if you look. It's there from the very beginning in creation as it swept over the waters. And it is there in so many different forms. And in this scripture, we are hearing that the Holy Spirit is going to intercede in our very hearts to teach us what we need to know so that we can know God God is promising relationship with us, a close and intimate relationship, one of those in which he speaks to our hearts and our minds when we need it and tells us what we need to know to follow him. You know, before this, the people had asked God not to speak to them directly. They were afraid. And so they always had had to use intermediaries, middlemen, to speak to God and then tell them what was going on. And what basically God was saying here is, we're cutting out the middleman. We're going directly to you. In Jesus Christ, the promise was that we will no longer need a middleman because Jesus would be the one that would be between us and God, and he is God. So there is no middleman. Jesus Christ himself became the one who would interact with us. You know, this new covenant also promises that grace is coming. And you know, when I talked about the candy to the children, I can guarantee you that when they heard that there would be candy in that box, there was joy and celebration, even though the candy's not there yet. There was joy and celebration at what? At the promise that it would be done. And so what Jeremiah brings to the people is joy and the promise and the hope of the new covenant, the new deal that God is going to give them even though they have not seen it yet. By the way, that's called faith. Faith 
believing in that which you have not seen or yet received. Now, sometimes a deal sounds too good to be true, right? You know, like any time I go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, I feel like they've lost their mind. Because some of us can really hurt them, right? I mean, the all-you-can-eat buffet, we can really... We can really do some damage. I've always wondered how they make money in these deals. You know, sometimes it sounds too good to be true. And I'm so sure that some of the people of Israel thought this new deal was too good to be true. They have been so used to having to do the right things in order to, to, to gain God's favor. They had been used to good works and obedience being the way to be on the right side of God. And so... When they told them that this was going to be different, that this deal was going to be better, some of them could not believe it. It sounded too good to them. How do we know that? Because when Jesus came and he began to spread his message of grace and forgiveness through faith in him, his own people rejected him. His own people said, no, 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 we got to work for it. We got to do things for it. What do you mean people can just receive it through faith? It is so difficult for those people who have been used to earning their way into things to accept the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. But it is the best deal that God has ever offered us, and it is one that was signed, sealed, and delivered by Jesus himself when he came and dwelt among us. Now, one of the ways we know that a deal is a good deal is by checking with somebody else who took advantage of it, right? Did you use that coupon? Did it work? Did they take it? Did they give you the discount they said they were going to give you? That's one of the ways we verify that deals are good. If you go online to look for a coupon, you'll find 20 million coupon sign, sites. And what you'll find is that many of them list the coupon, and then next to it, in little smaller print, it'll say, how many people have taken advantage of this deal? It is their way of saying it's a good deal, and it's a valid deal, and it still works. That's a guarantee it's going to work, by the way. But when it comes to deals, that is how we verify that deals are good. We look at somebody else to make sure that it's worked for them. And today I want to tell you that there are people that are looking at you to see if the deal of Jesus Christ has worked for you. They're looking to see if you have received forgiveness and are living as redeemed. They want to see if you really are experiencing the fruits of the Spirit. They want to see if you really know that you walk in newness of life and not in your old ways. They want to see signs that you have taken advantage of the deal and you have accepted Jesus Christ and he has become your Lord and your Savior. Scripture tells us that he will forgive our sins and remember them no more. You know, that's some of the best news in all of the Old Testament, that he will remember our sin no more after he forgives it. That's called grace. And that is the new deal in Jesus Christ. 
I pray that when people look at you, they go, where did you get that deal? And how can I get in on that? I pray that they want to know who Jesus is and that you can help them to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus' resurrection in their own lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because you have been so gracious to us in offering us the new covenant in Jesus Christ. I thank you that it brought hope to the people that listened to Jeremiah back then and that it still brings hope to our lives today. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't depend on us, but that it depends on you. Help us, O Lord, to receive your grace and your forgiveness and live our lives in ways that show others that we have the best deal in town. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.